Hello and welcome to Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff and we've just had the first week of the finals. I'm joined, joined by Daniel Andrews. How are you doing, Dan? Good, thanks, Johnny. Another week of finals in the books and plenty to talk about as always. Yes, it certainly started with a bang and we're going to go through these games as they unfolded and yeah, have a bit of a discussion on each one and yeah, what it means for the rest of the final series. But we're going to start off with Thursday night at the MCG. Collingwood versus Melbourne, first versus fourth. Dan, we were both there, obviously. And, uh, yep. Go, yeah, go absolutely. <laughs> how, how early did you have to get there to get into the MCC? Uh, well, I didn't go MCC for this one, but, um, yeah, oh, I still had to get there pretty early. It was about, yeah, especially with the rain as well, it slowed a lot of things down. It was about, I think, six, yeah, ten past six, I reckon I got there. Okay, that's not too bad. When did you yeah. get there for the lining up? Um, I had to stay at work for a little while, so I didn't actually get there till about 6.30, but I think the rain made it a bit easier. So oh, yeah. I still managed to get a seat pretty easily. But yeah, I guess a lot of Melbourne supporters were worried about the rain and it more or less stopped like basically 10 minutes before the game. It was a bit wet like early on, but I don't think it really had that much of an effect on the game. I'll tell you what, just on the... um, I think the rain would have made it easier... For you, uh, for the MCC, because um, you know you're just doing your cards. But um, I felt like if anyone who had tickets was just having a lot of trouble getting through those uh, the gates, because uh, you yeah. know with all like you know turning up the phone brightness and on top of that, <laughs> just all the rain, like the number of people who had like wet phone screens and that just wasn't like registering. So, yeah, what a pain! Interesting how that happened. All right, let's get into the game then. So obviously. Melbourne finishing in fourth on the ladder and Collingwood first. And, uh, yeah, coming into the, this game, I guess, would have liked Melbourne's form line a little better. But uh, Collingwood had done a lot right during the year. So let's jump straight into the first quarter. Yep. So it was two quick goals to Hill, uh, Bobby Hill, that would be, before you could even really take a breath. One a bit of a dodgy free kick and another on a fast play. So Collingwood had two goals on the board very quickly. And Gorn took it upon himself to get a response pretty quickly, managed to grab it out of the ruck, and as he was being slung by Mason Cox, managed to get it onto a running Brayshaw, and he was in the clear, no one anywhere near him, and uh, got a really nice long kick into Fritsch. I think he marked it and definitely kicked the goal, but attention quickly turned to what happened uh, where... Brayshaw was because it became quickly apparent that he was lying on the ground. Yeah, he was completely motionless as well for quite a while. Yeah, it took a second for me to register what had actually happened there. Like, I guess once he'd got the kick away, I wasn't really looking there. But yeah, they showed the replay and yeah, it was a pretty sickening incident there and it took some time to get him off the ground so Maynard had sort of gone for the smother and then in the motion of jumping he'd sort of put the shoulder into Brayshaw which did seem uh, pretty unnecessary. Yeah um, I yeah it took me a while to register exactly what happened as well um, I was just obviously watching the balls that went into 50 and I, yeah, I can't remember if Fritch marked it or not either Um Something must have happened, and I think maybe he didn't because I think it was a free kick downfield. But um, e- either way, uh, yeah, it, it was just so hard to understand 
what had happened. Um, and there was a lot of fire to start that game. I remember seeing Jeremy Howe going straight over to Bailey Fridge and really trying to get under his skin. And uh, Mason Cox, right from the very start, went in with that knee uh, the centre bounce into Max, um, so you knew that Collingwood would bring the physicality. In, you know, whether you know was uh, you know going to be legal or not, like they they were coming to play a physical game. Fair enough, it's finals. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, how did you see the whole clash with yeah. Brayshaw and Maynard? Yeah, look, when I first saw it and I saw the replays on the screen, I'll be honest, I did think, well, it's an attempt for a smother. He's not really trying to bump. It's probably not that much in it. Yeah, it was a it was a, a footy act gone horribly wrong. Um, and I did feel I felt that way that night as well. I thought, yeah, I still think I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. But the last, well, I reckon the the forty eight hours after that, I really had thought about it quite a lot and a lot of differing camera angles and views and. I've just had my thinking on this whole thing has really changed in the last three or four days. And um, at first I kind of was one of those people thinking, well, what else could he have done? Now I'm kind of one of these people thinking, well, maybe that's the wrong way to think about it now. Maybe mm. maybe the point now is that if you leave the ground, you've made that decision and you've got to be responsible for it. So I'm but just on, more on like that, that point, now. On that point where he didn't, you're sort of saying along the lines of maybe he couldn't have done anything else. If he's jumped up to smother and is going towards Brayshaw, he still gets to choose how he makes contact. He still raised the elbow. He could have mm. easily tried to actually lessen the contact. He could have even tried to fall one way or the other and avoid as much contact as possible. He still chose to make contact. This is the other thing, Dan. Like in the last few days, I, I started from a starting point of, what else could he have done? It's a split-second decision. Now I'm realising that there were probably two or three things he could have done. And one of those things would probably have been to not, you know, obviously not leave the ground or not leave the ground in the manner that he did. He was running at full pace, I guess, and any jump would have, you know, it would have been hard to sort of jump in vertically straight up. But um, he would have understood that he'd have momentum. And he also could have, he didn't have to sort of turn to the right and lead with the shoulder. He could have turned to the left. And he also didn't have to lead with the shoulder. He could have outstretched the arms and it would have just ended up in a big push. It still might have hurt, Gus, but it wouldn't have concussed yeah. him. He could um, have definitely so, yeah. tr- tried a lot harder to avoid the head with if he was choosing to make contact. And I still reckon he could have lessened the contact if he'd really wanted to. But yeah. he could have done a lot more to try and avoid the head there. Yeah. No, I, I've really, yeah, I've really come around a lot on this and I, I I've seen the vision a lot. There's a bit of a stutter step as well at the start. I'm not I'm probably reading too much into it, but I just feel like it's a strange, it's a strange way to run and pressure the opponent. Um, I don't know. Like, like I said, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm not decided yet on whether this is like a thug act. I don't think it. I don't think it's intentional. We have no way of knowing, but I just think. Um, yeah, it's a duty of care thing, and you know we're now in an age where it's it's not good enough to say, oh, he can't disappear in thin air, or he can't, you know, change direction. We're supposed to be more responsible now because of where concussion is, and we've got a responsibility to be responsible. Yeah, we've got to be accountable for our actions if we choose to leave the ground playing the game. 
which is yeah. the jump off the ground. He was a he was pretty much a a projectile through the air, and you know he he had no control, and that's that's reckless. Yeah, I still think he could have controlled his motion more than he did. But he maybe probably could have. Yeah, well, he could, had little we... control, little control over it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we should probably get back into the recap. But yeah, that's um yeah. So aside from putting Brayshaw's career in jeopardy, it also threw Melbourne's rotations out and meant they were one midfielder down, which had ramifications through the game. Anyway, let's get back into looking at what was happening in the first quarter. So yeah, basically, I don't know how you were feeling at this point, Johnny, but the noise that the Collingwood fans were making was just like hitting you like a ton of bricks like there was a ton of atmosphere going around and I don't know what the ratio in the crowd was but yeah I don't know whether the players were feeling it but it was definitely an intimidating environment and it was just frenetic especially in that first 10 minutes anytime the ball was in dispute bodies just flying around everywhere and it seemed to be Collingwood coming out on top in most of the 50-50s early on yeah um, as for that noise, yeah, it was very confronting. I, I remember being at a, I think it was a, it was a Richmond and Geelong game. I think that year that Richmond, the 2017 season, I think it was the qualifying final there. And it, it was very similar to that. It was just this team that's, uh, you know, I know it may not have sort of been successful a lot at that point, but they they were here and it's a sleeping giant had awoken kind of thing. And yeah, uh, I definitely felt like Collingwood, came out on a mission and they, they wanted it. And uh, on the other side of things, it felt like it was really disappointing to see Collingwood really smash us up in the contested ball in that first quarter. I think they were plus 10 at quarter time. And it t- it felt like it took about five minutes for us to get the ball inside 50. I just felt that was a really poor way to start a final. Um, Yeah, uh, Collingwood, they were definitely on top at this point. Yeah, it seemed to me to be like a real contrast of styles between what Collingwood and Melbourne were trying to do. Like Every time Melbourne got the ball, they were really trying to control the ball down the ground. At this point, they were still not doing too badly in finding space, but it was a huge contrast because any time Collingwood were getting the ball, especially off the half-back line, they would just go long and direct, try and get it to uh, you know one-on-one contest, taking it straight through the middle. And uh, it, it was almost like, I don't know, what a great analogy is but it seemed just so different the styles like one team is just plugging away plugging away just trying to find these little pockets of space to get down the ground and then the other is just going okay i got the ball back now let's go all the way back the other end in like 10 seconds and we'll put you under a bit of pressure here yeah and they were hitting us hard on the counter as well like just just rebounding like lightning speed yeah, and there was a lot of space in this quarter. I think Melbourne kind of rectified it thereafter a little bit, but there was a fair bit of space on offer, and guys like Elliot getting out the back, he's obviously got Hibbard done for pace. So, uh, yeah, yeah they, had, they had definitely had some open play in this quarter. May was very high up the ground as well, I thought, early on. It was, it was strange. But they did rectify it, absolutely. Um, the other thing that really frustrated me right from the start was, and I just don't recall many games that Melbourne do well in when this happens, but they really they reverted back to the slow ball movement, long balls into the fifty, with just two or three stationary forwards in the same spot, and they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and I don't recall it working much. 
No, it's not really a recipe for, for success. So really, Mel- Melbourne had done an okay job of holding Collingwood for the majority of the quarter after that fast start, but Collingwood kept chipping away with these fast direct entries and eventually they broke through for another two goals to be to have quite a dominant quarter here. So uh, 4-2-20 to only the single scoring shot for Melbourne, one straight six, 14-point lead. And uh, yeah, to me, Collingwood were just looking like the more desperate team. Mm. Not to say, you know, Melbourne didn't want it, but they didn't. it didn't seem to be the same level of ferocity and uh, I guess just want to take the game on. It was a bit like chalk and cheese early on here. Yeah, I thought that too. I thought Collingwood just seemed like they wanted it that little bit more at the start, and it was showing. They were winning those 50-50 contests. Like I said, they were about plus 10 contested ball. Uh, It was just an area that Melbourne needed to match them in at least to start with, and yeah, it wasn't wasn't happening. And, you know, it looked like Collingwood were physically intimidating Melbourne. That really sucked a lot out of them after the Brayshaw incident. I wasn't sure which way that would go. I thought maybe they'd bind together. It looked like they were a bit shell-shocked. And one thing that it really hurt Melbourne in, uh, the area that it really hurt them in, is that it meant that they couldn't really release Petrarca up forward as much. He had to sort of play a lot more midfield minutes. And, yeah, the balance of things just, um, yeah, it it just kind of went out of whack. I mean, Brayshaw's a big pressure player as well. So, yeah, right from the, the start, it was just out of whack. I think there's a bit of that feeling in the stands as well, just like such a big incident and, you know, losing a big player so early in the game. And, yeah, just felt like it sucked the life out of the whole thing for from the Melbourne point of view for a little yeah. while at least. Yeah, I think they, I think they were shocked, um, especially with Gus's history. Uh, there was probably a lot of concerns. And, yeah, it, it took a while to settle, I think. All right, let's go to the second quarter. So Collingwood managed to get the first goal of the quarter here through a nice mark to Majacek. Uh, and it was a sort of a reoccurring pattern, the fact that the Collingwood forwards were finding a fair bit more space than their Melbourne counterparts. Although I don't exactly know what it was, but I uh, mentioned to my brother sitting next to me that it seemed like the game had, was slowly starting to change about 10 minutes into this quarter. You couldn't really see it on the scoreboard yet, and Melbourne was still stuck on one goal. But somehow they were just being able to slow Collingwood down a little bit, and uh, it was starting to look a little bit more like a Melbourne game. Mm. There was. There was definitely more on our terms. We uh, winning a lot more contested ball, defending a lot better, still not quite, you know, didn't have a stamp on it yet, and yeah, we weren't getting the scoreboard ticking over, but uh, it, we sort of arrested the decline, I guess. Yeah, one thing I did notice with Collingwood in terms of their stoppages they were winning, particularly early in this game, they seem to be, and even when they're in defence, they always seem to have someone off the back of the contest that they could feed the ball out to who wasn't really yeah. under much pressure. So uh, that was working really well for them. Maybe Melbourne changed the structures a little bit from then on. But, yeah, I noticed that quite a lot in the first quarter and a half. Yeah, I didn't Yeah, I didn't quite pay attention to that as much. But, um, yeah, it I makes sense. I think that, uh, yeah, we do go sort of like minus one at the stoppage. And, yeah, maybe, maybe that was playing into their hands, especially in the wet, well, the greasy conditions at the start. Maybe just they just seem to have that their extra as well 
and yeah, just they utilised it really well. So although Melbourne was having a bit of trouble scoring, eventually they did get a nice long direct entry in and somehow Pickett had the perfect spot and managed to outmark Jeremy Howe, even though he's obviously a lot shorter than him, and managed to get one mm. through the big sticks there. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a it was a spark. It was a spark. So even though Melbourne was starting to get plenty of inside 50s, Collingwood were doing very well defending the long ball inside 50. And uh, yeah, really not looking in too much danger for the majority of inside 50s Melbourne was getting. And that was that all added up to a 5-3-33 to 2-4-16 halftime uh, margin there. So Melbourne had reduced the margin by three points there. But yeah, didn't really have a lot to show for a better showing in the second quarter. Yeah, like, it could have been our quarter. I guess we did win it, but it could have been our quarter. And one more goal, I think, would have been a good result. But, yeah, it it still kind of felt like we'd been held out a bit. And, yeah, that as I said before, that long ball was so predictable and very easy to defend. They set up for it perfectly. They had sort of – they could, you know, see the fall of the ball easily and they just ran it out quite quite easily and I, I don't know why we couldn't seem to get more of that I guess it would have been better to just have messy ground ball entries than what we were doing mm. and we just fell into the trap I, I felt it yeah I might get into it a bit later on but it just looked like reverting to old habits yeah absolutely Collingwood's defense really stood up especially mm. Darcy Moore oh yeah yeah definitely absolutely all right, so uh, let's go to the third quarter here. So it had actually been a really long time since Collingwood had scored a goal, but they did break through in the third quarter here. I think it was within the first 10 minutes. There was one bit of play that really stood out, and that's how they got the goal. So they'd uh, gone basically straight through the middle to try and get the ball out of defense and the ball was in dispute somehow like there were so many players around the ball here and Melbourne probably had three or four chances to turn the ball over but they were just unable to do it and somehow I think some of the Collingwood players had sort of realized that they could get an advantage if they were going to win that contest because they had about three Mm. or four players forward of the ball after they finally did win that contest. And Melbourne didn't have a hope in hell of stopping that one going in for a goal. So that one just really stood out because uh, Melbourne were just, I guess they were trying their hardest to turn it over and committing all their numbers there. And when they couldn't win that ball, Collingwood were just out all over the place. Yeah, that was a massive telling point at the game. Uh, I think it was there. The ball was there to be won for Melbourne. They nearly had it, but yeah, as you said, as soon as the Pies got it, they were just off to the races. So it felt like the game was starting to slip away from Melbourne here, even though they were still winning their fair share of contested possession and clearance. And from a really deep stoppage, uh, it was actually Tom Sparrow who was able to shark uh, Mason Cox tap and got it through the goals with a bit of a wobbler. So that was the spark that Melbourne needed. Although that started a run of centre bounce goals, so two to Collingwood and one to Melbourne. Mm. So the scoreboard was ticking over quickly there for a minute. And the highlight of that period of play for me was uh, the ball sort of falling to go around 45 out and just putting the hoof into it. And uh, 
didn't look too pretty, but yeah, got it through from distance. So uh, even when Melbourne was finding a way to get the scoreboard ticking over, Collingwood were responding here as well. Yeah, they had all the answers and it was a decent goal. It was not too many steps. I think he kicked it up and that's what he can do. There's few players in the comp that can, that can kick it that far off a few steps. So although Melbourne had really limited what Collingwood were able to do in the last couple of quarters, they were still uh, relatively ineffective up forward. So there was a decent margin here. So 9-4-58 to 4-9-33. So the points there starting to tell. Melbourne didn't really have too many easy scoring shots. And uh, yeah, it, I guess that was just part of the problem with the type of entries they were getting, maybe. Yeah, yeah they, they, they needed to vary the ball movement up and they needed, they needed a new look. It was, just wasn't... It was very predictable every way the ball was going in. There was no chance for the small forwards. And, uh, yeah, it, it looked like they, I mean, without trying a whole bunch of ideas, it looked like they had run out of ideas. <laughs> so a lot needed to go right for Melbourne here. They were 25 points down going into the fourth quarter. But they did start full of run, as they have often throughout the season in last quarters. So hitting the contest hard, getting some clear wins away from the stoppages and that allowed them to get two quick goals on the board, closing the margin to just 13 points. Melbourne kept pushing through the next sort of 10 or 15 minutes and having a heap of inside 50 dominance here as well. And it wasn't, they didn't, they had quite a few chances as well. T-Mac missing on an angle from close range, uh, Fritch marking from 45 out and completely shaking it. And a little bit later mm. on, uh, Cozzy, gathering seemingly in the clear and couldn't get the snap online. That one went out mm. of out on the full as well. A lot of out on the fulls, actually. Yeah. So Melbourne did find a way to get one more goal here where Track won the ball around 55 metres out and off the instep put it perfectly to the Melbourne forwards' advantage. I'm not sure whether it was Fritch or Neil Bullen, but they marked and went back and kicked that. Do you remember who kicked that one, Johnny? I think it was Fritch. Fritch. Yeah. yeah. The one we played on, yeah, I think it was Fritch. Yeah, that's, that's the one. And yeah. that reduced the margin to seven points with five minutes to play. Uh, but really, Collingwood were able to hold on, and I think that was kind of a hallmark of this last quarter. Collingwood didn't really need to score, and they didn't look overly interested in scoring throughout. No. So they just sort of held Melbourne out here. So although Melbourne had 3-2-20, and Collingwood just the two behinds in that quarter, it was enough for the Pies to hold on for a seven-point win. Yeah, look, they. to be honest, I thought Collingwood were looking pretty tired towards the end there. They, they weren't running it out as well as Melbourne were. And, yeah, I think that was just – they'd committed to, to hanging on, protecting the lead. It wasn't going to be a long quarter because there wasn't a whole lot of scoring in the game. So, yeah, they took a few intercept marks. Darcy Moore took a couple, I think, and – yeah, Isaac Quainer, I think, took a really good yeah, one. Yeah, he was really uh, – he was good throughout the night. very firm. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so this was, I guess, where, you know, Melbourne could have won the game in this last quarter and, you know, the Pies had to hold on. How, how did you see this last quarter overall? Yeah, look, it was it was a good last quarter for Melbourne. Like, you know, and you're obviously proud that they didn't give up, but um, – and this is going to sound really kind of ungrateful, but I kind of expected that from a team like Melbourne. I kind of I expected them to come at some point. Just that, you know, I would have been really surprised if they didn't play a quarter of decent footy in this game. And 
what disappointed me was that they just didn't seem to be, I don't want to use the word choked, but they seemed to not be up for the moment uh, when it mattered. And whether it was missing some really routine set shots for goal or a, like that moment we talked about before where the, the, the turnover, where they just the ball was there to be won and they didn't get it. There were just a lot of these pivotal moments that Collingwood came out on top in and really it was... So it comes back to the first quarter for me. I think that first quarter set up the win for Collingwood and that was just, yeah, that was it. We were always chasing the game from then on and it could have been different, but it wasn't. Yeah. I think obviously Melbourne left themselves a lot to do in this last quarter and yep. just not enough was going right for them to win the game in the last quarter, essentially. like They gave themselves enough chances probably, but just – the shape of the game, the fact that they were getting so many inside 50s, but they were being repelled so easily by Collingwood, either by intercept marking or just running it out with very little pressure. It meant that... Well, I think the inside 50 count was like 69 to 38 yeah. in the end in Melbourne's favour. I think at some point, the inside 50 count almost becomes meaningless if you're, it if does. you're so ineffectual. Because <laughs> it, it's just like... It does. Goes, it goes does. in, comes out. Goes in, comes out. Does that really mean much? But like, I take your point that they did have a heap yeah, of Yeah, and 50s. look, I think they, they got a lot of them in that last quarter as well. And that it's funny how they were getting most of their scoring fortune in this quarter by taking the game on through the middle. I mean, for the first two or three quarters... Uh, the middle, the corridor didn't exist for <laughs> Melbourne. They were really trying to keep it out on the wings, going long, and yeah, they they just got a little bit of dare, and you know, some good stuff came of, came from it. I know that, that that's a high risk thing to do, and they might have conceded some scores as well doing that if they played that way during the game. But something needed to change, and for me, it changed a little too late. So we talked in the preview about how we both thought that. Melbourne should lean on the game style that served them so well on King's birthday. And I think in a lot of ways, this game actually mirrored that King's birthday game a yeah. lot. The only difference Definitely. was Melbourne was we even more back. ineffective inside 50. <laughs> That's really the only difference. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, and, well, you know, Collingwood got off to a good start in that game, but we we managed to pull it back a lot more easily. Um, yeah. I don't fault it too much, but I think there was just a point where it needed to not be as predictable the way we were moving the football. Yeah, I think like it's partly for what Collingwood's doing as well. Like they were setting up yeah. very well defensively; they were getting back quickly. But Melbourne yeah, didn't respond to that. They they basically seemed happy enough to play the game in that mold of okay, you're going to set up so defensively, we're just going to keep getting it in there over and over and hope that yeah. hope that something happens. Back the system. Yeah, something will change eventually. But I guess it didn't happen enough times. Which is disappointing because I think Melbourne's shown that they have another gear this year and that they can they can speed it when they want to and they can use the middle a bit more or switch it quickly or um the, the thing that gets me the most is the lack of movement up forward. I just felt that we looked so unpredictable when we had forwards leading the space, and this is where Melksham's such a big loss because if if there was just a bit of space, Melksham would seem to lead into it. I think he's actually even said that. He, if there's one bit of space that's not being <laughs> used, he takes that opportunity to lead into it. Where this, I just don't understand the logic behind this crowding around the fall of the ball with two or three of our taller forwards and just 
it, it just like they, they don't start they start stationary and it's just like you know hanging on to my head kind of thing it's hmm. i don't know i just haven't seen it work much this year for yeah, it's a very similar pattern in a lot of Melbourne's losses this year in terms of like even the Fremantle game, the GWS game. They've done well enough in and around the contest clearance and contested possession to get enough entries, but the forward effectiveness just hasn't been there. And the only way it works is if you've got a key forward who's physical and strong enough to continually bring the ball to ground and sort of yeah. collapse it inwards and, and get those repeat stoppages uh, and allow you to sit up there. It just didn't happen. So I guess it's a good time to bring up one of the questions I had. Did Melbourne's forward line fail the team or did Melbourne's team fail the forward line? Or a bit of both? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go team failed the forward line. Not by much, but I think that that's kind of where it starts. And the, the intent with our ball use, and uh, I think I think we could have changed the, a few. We could have changed the fortune a little bit. I think stemming from the ball movement, uh, if we were getting it in a bit quicker, if we're getting just a bit more sort of lower trajectory kicks and just skidding it on the ground, even getting some boundary throw-ins and some stoppages, it, it just would have been different. It didn't feel different until that last quarter. So I'm going with that. I thought we had some midfielders that were really missing in that first half of the game as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of passengers, I thought. They got into it more. Petrarca got into it a lot more. Oliver as well. But, yeah, that, that, that were not sighted in that early the early stages of the game. Do you think, what do you do you think Melbourne were perhaps a little bit gun-shy here about opening the game up? A little bit or a lot just because yeah. I guess that was kind of yeah, inviting th- Collingwood to play their style as well. Like would that have would yeah, that have they been cagey. They looked cagey. They they want there were quite a there was a lot of times when you would see some free guys through the middle or uh, just in a good position and, and we would kick sideways off the halfback flank and things like that. We we would I felt like we were really sticking to the the conservative approach. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I guess knowing what we know now, you'd point to the fact to say that perhaps they should have opened things up a little bit more. But, yeah, I suppose, like, once they got into that last quarter where maybe Collingwood were tiring a bit, that was the time to try a bit more of that opening up. And I think they did a little bit, but perhaps they could have done a little bit more as well. Yeah, look, I think it was just <laughs> it was just a bit too late. And, yeah, 25 points down a at three-quarter time. I mean, honestly, I mean, how much would you have just taken a two-goal deficit <laughs> at three-quarter time? I think we would have overrun them. And look, look, like I said, it's not a bad tactic if it keeps you in touch, and that would have been the perfect moment to open it up. But I, it just comes back to the basic fundamentals. I felt like there were some pretty good options through the middle, and I, there was one moment where I think it was Rivers. Or, it may not have been Rivers, but... Max was free in the 50 and he, he just, whoever it was, it may not have been Rivers, uh, but he looked up ahead and thought, no, nah, no, nah, going back and taking this shot from outside 50 and I'm pretty sure it didn't make the distance. So I just, yeah, there's just this, sometimes this team just gets the blinkers in that situation where there might be someone in a better spot, but I don't know, they overthink it a bit or something. Yeah. And I just think if they did that a little bit more, it would have been, 
they would have been at least in touch. For sure. So we've obviously talked a lot about Melbourne and uh, Collingwood did win the game, funnily enough. <laughs> so yes. what, what do you think actually won Collingwood this game? Yeah, look, that, they they were just they were really committed to what they were doing. They were they were very, um, very well drilled. The defense was really well structured. Um, they counted really well. I hear all the time how Collingwood are vulnerable if the ball gets turned over in the middle of the ground, but we don't see it. We don't see them get punished often with that. They they quite often are just too busy scoring. So. <laughs> Yeah, look, they, yeah, and they they used the I guess in the wide positions. I mean, Steel Sidebottom was fantastic. I mean, he really he was everywhere, and yeah, Langton had his hand full, hands full, and that, I thought that was a real pivotal matchup that they that they won. Uh, and I, I hate to say it, but I think that uh, Collingwood also won it at selection. I think that they didn't worry too much about the weather. They went in tall and it paid off. Whereas Melbourne, I think, may have knee-jerked at the weather and went with the two tall backline. Again, something that hasn't really worked well for Melbourne this year whenever it's happened, but they did it. I think Michael Hibbard was a decent inclusion. He didn't do a bad job on Elliot. But, um, yeah, I think selection was, yeah, one of a big part of the win for Collingwood. Yeah. To me, to me, like it was just obviously Collingwood didn't really get the game on their terms for that much of the game in terms of what they were trying to do. Like they were still hanging in there, but one team was trying to take the game on when they had the chance, and one team wasn't. And sometimes mm. it's just that simple. Yeah, which is strange when you when that team that isn't is behind for the majority of the game. Yeah, like. Melbourne is still like trying to do their thing, but I, I don't know. They just didn't take the game on enough to give a yeah. poor forward line, a poor to average forward line, enough chances to kick goals. So, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of felt like they were doing the same thing over and over, and it just didn't work enough, obviously. And Collingwood were able to get those more dangerous entries, even though they had less supply, I suppose, and they were, they were getting the goals yeah. where where they could. Do, do you think there were enough ch- that we did create enough chances to win? Because, well, was it seven goals, 11? And we kicked quite a few out on the fools. I mean, my instant thought is, yeah, we didn't. But looking at that, do you think that there was enough to get the job done? We just kicked terribly? For a team, we, uh, like, they were generating scoring shots. A lot of them were difficult. And I think this, they were difficult. this is <coughs> kind of a, a gripe of mine. For some reason, there are very few players in the Melbourne team who can kick a goal from fifty. Like if you, if mm. you go through like the shots other teams are getting, I think a higher percentage, or maybe this is just my bias of you know being a supporter, but it seems like other teams have more guys who can get it through from fifty. Yeah. It doesn't seem to well, be the one that Jack Crispin from yeah. outside fifty. They don't. They just don't seem to be that Melbourne player. Many Melbourne players mm. who can kick from. 45, 50 metres out. So, like, whenever they're getting a shot from that range, I never really expect it to go through, and most most no. times I'm not surprised. <laughs> but I think they... No, neither. I think they did generate enough chances here. And we've talked about, in that, particularly in that last quarter, how many, you know, 
gettable chances they really did fluff. And there was that one in the third as well. And like obviously Collingwood would have some where they feel like they should have got a goal, but Fritch gets the free yeah, kick. Yeah, they did. They missed a few. They did. Fritch yeah. gets a free kick, forty out, and for some reason, uh, Pickett and Langdon decide to play on and don't get a goal out of that. So that was a goal, another yeah. golden opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, there was yeah there were a number of them. Uh, Oliver had his shot that sailed out on the full. Um, I think Fritch might have missed one at the city end as well. Uh, in addition to that one that just shanked him, it, it's just. These are the kinds of – it's not – I know it was wet to start with, but these are the kind of games you have in finals where there's where goals are at a premium and you just got to take more of those chances. Yeah. You're not going to get and that many easy shots in finals no matter who no. you are. So you just got to find a way to kick some of these. So I guess, yeah, What's what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Um, yeah, biggest takeaway from this game – uh, was that Melbourne, I think Melbourne beat themselves. <laughs> I just think that I come back to those things. I think selection wasn't, in my opinion, wasn't great. Uh, the ball movement and ball entry into 50 wasn't good enough and they didn't seem to rise to the occasion when it came to shooting for goal. Uh, I don't know whether the shooting for goal thing is just a weather thing or a technique thing or a fatigue thing or a... Or just a mental not being up for it thing. I don't, you know, this team's won a flag, so I think they're up for it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not taking anything away from Collingwood. They they were decent and they deserve to win, and you know, they're going to the prelim. But I just can't help but think that this was a big moment for for Melbourne, and the one that maybe the one that got away. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Like what are your thoughts? throughout the whole game, it just never felt like a game Melbourne was going to win. <laughs> but like no. at the same time, I didn't feel like Collingwood were like putting their stamp on it either. Obviously, they did early and they they yeah. hung in there very well and they stuck true to their game style. So I don't know. Like I think they were deserving winners, but it, it is frustrating yeah. to basically control the game from a Melbourne point of view for the better part of three quarters and you still can't find a way to win with that amount of control, I suppose. Yeah, and a team of this caliber, you would just think that, I don't know, I'm just looking at it as the connection between mids and forwards is what's holding this team back. I think that uh, if that was just a little bit above the average, yeah, they'd be, yeah, they would have won this game and the, could be one of the better teams of the last few years. I think that. Th- but yeah, it's yeah. I think that thing with like the connection between the mids and forwards, though, like they're making that more difficult by playing the style they're playing. That is easier if they play it even a little bit more open. Yeah, and and just even just more movement. And, yeah, you know, hitting up some short targets. That was just there was never a moment in this game where they looked for short targets or made those options. It was just it was stagnant and yeah, look. The, the two things for me was the two, the, the May and Lever as the only tools in the back line. That back line hasn't really worked this year. And this ball movement with long balls in to stationary forwards hasn't worked this year either. And it didn't work in this final last year either. <laughs> it, that was one of the big things, reasons that we lost to Sydney. Yeah. So 
I think you get to a point where you have to just bring a little extra in finals, bring something else. And yeah, I just thought that I thought Melbourne had that, but but yeah, just didn't seem to happen. All right, one last one on this game, and then we'll move on. How much confidence do you have in Collingwood going all the way and winning the grand final in twenty twenty three? So they've got the favourable draw through to that grand final now. So uh, after seeing what they had to put out against Melbourne, what's your confidence level with the Pies at the moment? Yeah, look, you'd be very confident as a Pies fan. I think that's that's the game you wanted going straight through to the prelim. You're going to face GWS or Port. From what I hear, Port got some injury issues of their own. They're walking wounded a bit. So, yeah, it's not that there's a soft final, but I think that's the one you wanted. I'm expecting him to be there. And, yeah, I, I definitely thought whoever won this game would sort of, yeah, they would have taken the – I think I said it in the last episode, they would have taken the queen in the chess game. It's not everything, but it, it's a big deal. Uh, I, I'm i wondering, though, that I've just got the slight caveat about this. I'm just wondering if they are playing well enough to win the flag at the moment. So I, I definitely think they'll make the grand final, but I still think that – there was a little bit of a, a mojo about them that they had that has been missing for about six weeks. And uh, look, they were decent in this game, but I, I can't say that I was like super duper impressed uh, that they were, you know, wow, we're seeing the, you know, 2023 premiers elect or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I just wonder if, I mean, they've lost twice to Brisbane this year. I'm just wondering, uh, have they done enough to convince me they can stop that? So, what are you, what are your thoughts, Dan? Mm, yeah, like I agree that they've got a great draw to get through to the grand final, and what Collingwood did in this game did impress me. Even though yep. you know we've put a lot of caveats on it, they did what they had yep. to do. They took the game on. You know, yep. Brisbane is a tough draw, but like it's it's at the MCG, which obviously helps. I still think they would be starting favourites against Brisbane, but yeah, for some reason, Brisbane style really does match up quite well with Collingwood and just that their yeah. scoring power, that would be a tough matchup. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm not really any more confident in Collingwood than I was at the start of the final series, but yeah, you, that's fair. You, that's what I would say. You'd expect them to be there on grand final day, and uh, yeah, I do think they have a grand final winning performance in them. And you know, getting Nick Dacos back, hopefully he's in decent mm. shape. I think they they can do it, but how you know how far and away they are the favourite, I'm not so sure. I think it's still extremely even between. Uh, them in Brisbane in particular, and you know, we mm. could have a few upsets between now and the grand final. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if the Giants manage to roll port, no. and then uh, you know, Collingwood GWS. We've seen that before in 2019. The game Collingwood was very much favoured to win, and they didn't. Yeah, I'd so- prefer port if I was Collingwood. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there's still plenty to play out, but uh, yeah, I think it is a very even competition. So it's hard to say anyone's a clear favourite at the moment. Yep, yep, totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, you ready to move on to the next one, Dan? Yes, let's do it. Yes. <laughs> let's go. So the very next night, Friday night, was Carlton and Sydney. 
yeah, look, the Blues were ready for finals footy as they burst out of the blocks, bringing plenty of pressure to lead 2011 at the first change. In the second quarter, they dialed it up even more as they added four goals while the Swans were having a lot of issues with their inside 50 entries. It was 29 points to lead to Carlton at halftime. Swans made some inroads in the third quarter, winning that quarter five goals to three. And we were set for a grandstand finish, which we got as the leaders like Luke Parker, Isaac Heaney and Chet Warner got busy while it was suddenly Carlton getting the blinkers going into the 50. Hayden McLean set up a thrilling finish when he snapped a goal with just 25 seconds to go to bring Sydney within six points, but it was Nick Newman who took the match-saving mark with six seconds remaining to ensure Carlton grabbed the victory. Dan, were you impressed with Carlton after 10 years out of the finals? Yeah, I was. I thought what they put up in this final, you know, was true to what they've been doing during the season and just their strength around the contests, their ability and willingness to move the ball on quickly and uh, get representation to the fore of the ball. I was impressed. And, uh, yeah, it, it just stood out to me how many good players they have now. Like, I know it's a silly, mm. kind of a silly thing to say, like a team that's finished fifth, you'd sort of expect that. But I guess for so long, we've just thought of Carlton as just this really average team. But... They have been assembling a very good list, I think. And uh, yes. yeah, it was on show for all to see. It definitely wasn't the perfect game from Carlton. But in that first half in particular, they look potent. They look up for it. And uh, they were belting Sydney around the contest and really putting their imprint on the game and, uh, you know, getting enough going up forward. Charlie Cameron didn't have the best game, but he still managed to chime in with a goal or two, I think. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was impressive stuff from the Blues, particularly on a stage where they haven't been and, you know, there was pressure for them to perform. Yeah, I was also really impressed with the way the Blues came out. Uh, Sam Walsh, I mean, I'm not going to say you forget about a guy like him. You definitely don't, but he was just everywhere. I think he had 30 or more. Yeah, he had over 30 touches, I'm sure, didn't he? Um, yeah, one thing I did notice yeah. is Sydney managed to keep Cripps quite quiet, which uh, I guess meant that yeah. the uh, the other midfielders had to that, pick up the slack a bit, but Walsh was definitely one that did. Yeah, Mills was doing the job, I think, on Cripps, and it was a good battle. But uh, Walsh was, yeah, exactly, picked up the slack. I thought Chera was pretty good early mm, on. Very good. He had 15 touches, I think, in the first half. Uh, yeah, they've got a contest game that definitely stacks up in finals. I mean, there's nothing to say that they can't go far in this final series. Uh, yeah, look, it, it was a bit jittery later on, but yeah, ultimately they they didn't look out of place. Yeah, I think with that last quarter, like it's hard to know how much of it is like the opposition's good play and how much is the team with the lead just going into their shells that little bit. It seems to happen a lot in games, but obviously mm. it was what Sydney, you know, Sydney made the most of that and uh, got back into it a little bit, but. Yeah, maybe if Carlton needed to score more in that last quarter, they would have. But yeah, I guess Sydney got a few possession chains going, really slicing through Carlton a few times. Errol Goulden nailing some fantastic kicks and uh, they're just finding some space. And yeah, I think they really had on show, particularly in the sort of last quarter and a half there, 
what their game style could do. And we sort of talked a bit about that in the preview, how that was going to be Sydney's competitive advantage here. And they did get it going for a fair bit of the second half. They they did. They did. Uh, Yeah, it was just hard for them to get going early, but eventually they did. Um, There were a couple of performances that I was not that impressed with for the Swans. I thought um, I really liked James Rowbottom, but I just felt like he was way off. It just wasn't his night, and uh, it wasn't a good night to have a bad night. Um, Nick Blakey was... It was okay, but yeah, he um he actually turned it over a bit in this game. Uh, so yeah, just a few guys there that I thought could have been a lot better. They don't get a lot out of their tall forwards either. No, yeah, bit of no, a reoccurring problem there. Uh, Marty, I think, got subbed out, and uh, yeah, I guess McLean actually did take quite a few marks, but. Yeah, Logan McDonald and Amadi not getting a lot out of them in a lot of games. And even when they are marking it, they're very inaccurate. So, yeah, mm. I think that did limit what Sydney could do, particularly in the first half. But I guess they got a, bit, a few more open looks in the second half. So some of their smaller forwards came into play a bit more. Yes, yes. Um, and what did you? Th- what do you think about Carlton's chances? <laughs> Can they go? Can they make the grand final? Well, I don't know about the grand final. I would be taking it one week at a time here, but you know, I think they'd be. I think they match up extremely well against Melbourne. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. They've got a contested style. Melbourne's got a contested style. Melbourne doesn't really seem to be that wanting to open the game up and you know get their link up run and sort of turnover game going coming out of half back, which potentially would actually work quite well against Carlton. I think that's not one of Carlton's strengths in terms of, uh, you know, dangerous ball movement and those sorts of things. So I think if we see, I'm expecting to see a pretty similar game to what we saw a few rounds ago. And to me, that plays into Carlton's hands and you're playing against a team with a forward line that, that doesn't have really have a lot going for it at the moment. So no. I would be feeling pretty bullish about this matchup as a Carlton supporter. Yeah, and um, they've won 10 out of their last 11. That helps. <laughs> yeah, it's a, they're in form. Uh, I, I agree. They have every reason to be bullish about this one. Um, any other things you noticed in this game, Dan? Oh, it was just really good to see both teams be able to impose their brand on the game at different stages. I think that's one yeah. of the best things about... AFL, the fact that there are the momentum swings and teams can play it in different ways. And when Sydney started opening it up a bit, it was really exciting to watch. And, you know, they they were a fair way back, but some of the plays they were getting through half back and just slicing Carlton open, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah. And they're very exciting to watch when they they get that and take the game on, use their dynamic running. Um, But... It is all over for the Swans in 23. Funny, because they kind of did rescue the season. A lot of people were saying that this was the step back to go forward, but it's not bad if you still make the finals But it does in what's considered not a good year. It does uh, continue the trend of uh, grand finalists who lose by plus 40 points, either going out early the next final series or 
missing the finals altogether. So uh, that's yeah, that's true. That uh, it really does seem to be a pattern, whether it's like a psychological thing or just you know, if you get belted in a grand final, maybe you're not one of the better teams. You know, that's that's you know going to be challenging. Who knows? But for whatever reason, it seems to have an effect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, does it? I don't know. Does it paper over some of the cracks with Sydney? Is are they not marked as harshly as say, I don't know, like a Richmond or a um, a Western Bulldogs with some of their deficiencies because they're able to pull pull it out of the hat and play finals. Well, I think I think you're right there. Like the contest is still, you know a bit of a weakness, even when they've got things going a little bit more towards the end of the year, that was still a relative weakness. And, you know, now that Franklin's not there, they're having to rely on some of these younger forwards and they've definitely got some talent, but I'm just not sure that, you know, they're they're the guys you can rely on at the moment. So yeah, I'm not Mm. sure about next year. Like, you know, they'll be there or thereabouts, but I'm not thinking Sydney's going to be one of these teams that just spikes up again that quickly, but Obviously, it could happen, yeah. Yes, and if the rumours are true about possibly snaring Brody Grundy, maybe that will uh, swing something yeah, to their favour. that might help a little bit. <laughs> maybe let's uh, just talk really quickly a little bit more about the Carlton-Melbourne matchup. So we sort of touched on a little bit in terms of them both being, you know, contest-based sides. But how, how do you see this matchup? Yeah, I think it'll probably come down to the start. And I think the first quarter is crucial. And I'm pretty sure that every team that started their game, that started well in the first quarter this round, won the game. And it makes sense because that's usually what happens in finals. You set the tone early and, yeah, it, it's it's hard to battle back yeah. in this in finals footy. Uh, and I think that's that's what both teams need to be doing. If, if they don't, then they'll be... Very much on the back foot. Um, can you see yeah, Carlton's contest? Sorry, I was yeah. going to say, can you see Melbourne trying to open the game up a little bit more, or do you think they'll be content to play their forward half contest game similar to what we saw against Collingwood? I think they need to open it up a bit more. I think they need to sort of create a bit more uncertainty because there's just not enough there up forward to go to to kick a winning score in the. In the predictable way, I just and there's not that, yeah. There's not that sort of strong presence to bring the ball to ground repeatedly and lock the ball in the fifty. I think Melbourne have they've got to change it up. They have to change it up. I've, I mean, they won't go too far away from that. I still think that 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 style is going to be there to you know, form the basis of it. But they they've got to they've got to move the ball quicker at times, and they've got to just try and catch the Blues off guard a bit. Yeah, I think with the fact that Carlton is a good contested team, maybe that will actually encourage Melbourne to do some different things because if they're just going to be playing in the contest all night, then it's very likely that Carlton are just going to be able to hang with them. So if they want to actually you know, land mm. a few punches, they might actually have to do something a bit different. Well, that's a really good point because like, we just got sort of out-bossed by, well, in the first quarter by a team that, isn't that strong in the contested game. I'm not sure we're calling it up. Maybe they were 13th or something. Um, we're now playing a team that is good in the contest game. So if we give away that kind of start with those kind of numbers that Collingwood had and it's Carlton, well, yeah, it could be lights out early. Absolutely. 